Salute. Slancha. Cheers. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk. Happy Hour Radio, sponsored by Woodenville Wine Country's 90-point plus reserve night on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and events with your guide, master of mixology, and Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. So sit back and get ready to stir it up. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on 570 KBI. It is Happy Hour here in the Pacific Northwest, and welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I am your host, Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier, your weekend wine guy here to answer questions, interview guests, and talk about all the things that make us happy. Wine, beer, spirits, cocktails, fresh food, events and education all around the Puget Sound. Hey, if you'd like to uh, check out some of our shows, you can look at our past uh, all-star lineup of superstars, guests at happyhourradio.net. You can click on the links and listen to some of our past shows. And if you have a question out there about what to serve at a party, how to make some cool cocktails, send me an email to ask at happyhourradio.net. I got a great show today. I'm excited to bring in uh, one of the Napa Valley legends, Mr. Dennis Cakebread of Cakebread Winery. Um, Talk about his history, and he's got a new project here in Washington State, which is really exciting. I also have one of my longtime friends, one of the cool cats you probably don't know very well because uh, unless you've seen, been to an auction, auctioneer and uh, martini master uh, Keith Robbins of Teeny Bakes and Hula Hula. And right now, uh, my winery of the week guest uh, is Patterson Cellars, Mr. John Patterson. He's up in Woodenville and he's crafting some fantastic wine. He's got a really interesting story about how he got involved in the, the Washington State wine industry. And John... Welcome to Happy Hour. Thank you for having me, Chris. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so uh, you had you and your father started the wine industry uh, back in, what year was that? We started in 2000 in Monroe, but we had worked previously to that. Uh, I started in 1987, right out of high school at a winery in uh, Snohomish, and worked there part-time for Harvest uh, 11 years. 12 Snohomish, years. huh? Yes. Hmm. Who would that be? So I have uh, good friends, uh, family, uh, Quilcita Creek Winery. Yeah, and, uh, that's the only one I know in Snohomish. That's, uh, there's a few more there now. But yes. The Golitsons, yes. Correct. Alex, Good. Paul, and Marv, and yes. John. Um, very cool. So that's where you got you cut your teeth in high school, 87, on at, at Quilcita Creek? Just out of high school, correct. Oh. And it was always kind of a part-time uh, harvest job, and then uh, did a career change when I was 30 and uh, started the winery. What was the career change? I was in uh, franchise sales. So I did uh, franchise sales for a company out of Watertown, New York for oh, about eight years. And then uh, just uh company was uh, relocating. Okay. And- you said Watertown, huh? How about that? This is serendipity. It always works this way. So excited about that. I'll get to that later. So uh, you and your father started a wine company. Is that because you admired the Glitzens and you saw that they were making great stuff? And Did you like the juice in high school? You were drinking wine. Come on now. Well, I was. I'm sure I was drinking a little. I was uh, probably more dipping into my dad's collection than I was going out and uh, buying my own wines. But uh, it was great. It was uh, just a fun atmosphere. Always... Uh, learning and uh, just just a well-organized uh, group of people that I got to work with. And I had uh, went back to college at that time doing a career change and just took some science classes and uh, thought I 
could do it. So science. Yes. All right. Yes. I should have taken some marketing as well. <laughs> you know, that's so funny because uh, winemakers are, are great at making wine, but they, no one teaches us how to sell and how to, to talk wine and, and really what to do with labels and licensing. But we'll talk about that later. Right now, um, you, you really learn on the job, right? I think that was uh, a lot of the first years. And then I uh, went back to uh, program at South Seattle Community College and uh, still finishing up there. I've got... Uh, just a couple more classes, and I'll have an associates from them in their, um, I think, applied science for a winemaking program they have put together. Very cool. Yeah, Peter Bose and yes. uh, Reg Daniel uh, have a great program over there, the Northwest Wine Academy. I had Reg on the show um, last month or so, and it was great talking to her. And I'm speaking with John Patterson of Patterson Cellars Winery up in Woodville. You can find his great wines at pattersoncellars.com. And Alex Galitzin, let's just, you know, I met Alex at the Rainier Club. Uh, well, actually, before that, I met Alex at the Enological Society event in 1986 or 87 down at the Seattle Center. That's when the Enological Society was throwing the big wine. They were the only game in town. And that's where I met Alex um, Galitzin. And go figure, he's like, uh, you know, one of the godfathers now, one of the pioneers, and put Washington on the map with Lee and Eddie and Woodward Canyon and um, many more to come, of course, Patterson Sellers, I'm sure. Uh, but his uncle was Andre Telechev in out of Napa. So uh, really cool story. Good for you to start there. And uh, Paul's done an excellent job. But tell me about your winemaking style. Did you sort of take some, uh, well, did you t- try wine from your dad's cellar and said, I want to make this? Or did you try wine from Galitzin's? Or where did you go? How did you get your wine style? I think uh, that was that was probably went out and found good vineyards to work with. I think that was key to start, and then just uh, kind of worked backwards in creating the product, find styles of wine that I enjoyed to drink, and and uh, just would try to emulate that. I think that was key from the beginning. I think uh, now with you know a little further education, it's it's much easier to uh, pick a style and be consistent working with select vineyards each year. But uh, I, I think just settling into having consistent product and brand, as far as uh, putting the wine together and bottle each year, I think that's important. Well, education has come a long way, especially here in Washington. We got Walla Walla, we got South Seattle, we got Central Washington, and, and many more to come. I'm sure, uh, great programs that can help uh, round out uh, those areas and where you don't learn on the job. And um, your wine style, I'm, I'm trying. You just poured me a glass of the uh, Cabernet Franc 2011, which is a great vintage. I think Washington's hallmark vintage for the future. We'll go look back on 20 years at this vintage and go, darn, those wines are still showing fantastic. This is a delicious wine, Cabernet Franc. Tell us where you got these grapes. So these grapes came from uh, Ciel du Cheval Vineyard, Red Mountain. Uh, I think uh, Red Mountain is a consistent property. Ripens nine, ten, ten years out of ten. It's almost 100 uh, percent as far as ripening each year. And I think that's important. Uh, and Jim Holmes is the, uh, vineyard grower there. One of the pioneers for uh, red mountain and just turns out a consistent product each year. We get a red and, uh, some whites from in and, uh, look forward to the grapes. They're always first to ripen. Wow. Really? Yes. So early on red mountain, huh? Well, so they're, they're, uh, I had Tom Hedges here on the show last week and we talked about red mountain. Um, so you are now a guardian of red mountain with the seal, the Cheval grapes. Um, this has just got, uh, I'm, I'm just going to say it has 50% new oak, 40% new oak. It's about 35, 40% uh, right in there. It's, uh, we try to let the, uh, definitely I think Red Mountain tends to show a little more tannins and, uh, you try not to mask that with additional wood tannins. You want some of the fruit to show through. 
And how many wines are you producing uh, at Patterson Cellars? We do about eight to ten wines consistently each year, and then we get a, a few we get to play with uh, every other year. And we'll we... talk about how you market those <laughs> yes. in a little bit. Um, and you're up in Woodenville. Is that where you started? What You said your winery was in Monroe? In Monroe is where we started. The uh, name of our company start was uh, Washington Wine Company. Everybody thought we were a distributor. So in uh, 2007, we changed our names to uh, Patterson Cellars. And we've been pushing that brand since then. That makes sense. It's easy to remember that name, right? Correct. John Patterson. Yes. <laughs> and I speak with John Patterson, uh, the winemaker, the manager, the bottle washer. The uh, you've got some people helping you now these days, right? We have a good team. We have a uh, we had a staff meeting last night. Uh, we had about eleven people come out. Oh, so we have a good team. We have about four full time, balancer part time, tasting room staff, back of the house. And what's Pops doing? He is in Florida, working his way back. Oh. Selling wine, or is he getting some rays? Just getting some rays. Oh, so nice. He goes down every uh, winter now and spends about six months there. Oh, okay. It's so hard. that's good. So you don't have pops breathing down your neck and no, it's cracking the whip. Good for our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I want to jump into another one of those wines you brought. You brought a, a nice wine. Is that the Roussan? It's our uh, Late Harvest Roussan, correct. This is a uh, 2012 uh, late Harvest Roussan, so it's uh, 76 Roussan, 76% Roussan, 14% Viognier, and 10% Chenin Blanc. We'll jump back into that wine coming back from this break. And you're listening to Happy Hour Radio here on 570 KVI. Coming up, I've got Dennis Cakebread of Cakebread Winery in Napa and a longtime friend Keith Robbins, uh, the master planner behind Teeny Bigs and Hula Hula here on Happy Hour Radio. June 19th through 21st, the world is converging on Walla Walla. The world of Syrah, that is. Celebrate Walla Walla Valley Wine, the world of Syrah, with winemaker panels, tastings, dining, and more. Compare Syrah wines from Casa Robles and Sonoma, California, Yara Valley, Australia, and over 60 Walla Walla wineries. Get tickets at wallawallawine.com slash celebrate. Don't wait. Space is limited, and it's filling up fast. That's wallawallawine.com slash celebrate. Hi, this is Christopher Chan, your host of Happy Hour Radio. Hey, join me Friday, April 25th for Reserve Night in Woodenville. The best of 90-plus rated vintages, winemakers, food, and lots of fun. Check out WoodenvilleWineCountry.com. Time for another round. You're listening to Happy Hour Radio, Seattle's most spirited hour of talk. Sponsored by Woodenville Wine Country's 90-point-plus Reserve Night. With Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. And welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. Um, pleasure here to speak with John Patterson of Patterson Cellars. Uh, he's up in Woodenville. You can check him out at pattersoncellars.com. And, John, you poured me this 2011 Cabernet Franc. Uh, great fruit. Um, tell me about uh, the wine. You've got Seal de Cheval grapes, 40% new oak. What else did you do to this? It was in the barrel for, uh, I think we are in about 20, 21 months on this. So we just uh, released it this last weekend. And uh, I think we've got just under 400 cases of it, if my math is correct. Well, it's exciting to see Cabernet's, uh, Cabernet Franc's um, evolution, its progression here in Washington State. I know that there's a lot of uh, a lot of winemakers are playing with the grape. And I think it actually took a vintage like 10 and 11 for the grape to show its true colors. Um, Cabernet Franc, you know, grown in obviously the left and right bank of Bordeaux, but also in the Loire Valley. Um, and Samour and Chinon and Bergyle and uh, these a lot of Cab Franc there. It's a very herbaceous grape. If you let it grow, it, it becomes a, 
quite a seasoning for some blends. Is that correct? Do you believe that? It does. Good blending grape. We always try to hold out a few cases or a few barrels and stuff for a uh, a standalone varietal. I think it's uh, just good marketing that and solid, solid grape. We try to, I think, uh, blend it where we can and then let it stand alone if it uh, if it can do it. And I thought this year the eleven did really well. Yes, I'm loving it. It's, uh, it's showing really well. Uh, great structure, of course, with a hallmark of the eleven vintage, uh, good tannin. Um, but your, that barrel uh, age, the elevation there allowed some of that tannin to soften because it's got uh, um, a slightly soft mouthfeel, but the structure hits you and the back palate. Correct. We yeah. Sure, sure we did some fining on it to pull out some of the egg white? tannin. We, we do a egg white mix. We don't actually sit there and crack the eggs, but uh, <laughs> we do a, a powdered egg white. Ah, so, interesting. Yes. It's one of the secrets. Well, the other wine you you brought today is a late harvest Roussan. You were just telling me that it's more than just a Roussan. There's a couple other grape varieties in this. Tell us what the, the late harvest is and what vineyard did you get this from? So uh, I think this is, I started doing late harvest in 2009, and we're a processing place for many different wineries in Woodenville. And I had saw another winery processing and uh, thought that was the easiest thing I'd seen in my life. And so I uh, brought the grapes in that uh, that winter. Uh, we found Willard Farms, Jim, I've worked with there in uh, Prosser for since my probably think 2001 off on and off on different vintages called him up asked him what he had in the field for grapes and he gave me a choice between uh Chenin Blanc and uh Roussan so we brought in the Roussan to process for ourselves the first year and we've consistently grown the uh late harvest part of our uh, portfolio on this year we had um about 76% Roussan 14 Viognier and then 10% Chenin Blanc uh, the grapes are always picked. Mm. That's where that acid's coming from, isn't it? The Chenin Blanc. The Chenin, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I say it's really bright. So we um, pick the first week of December, typically right after Thanksgiving, and the grapes are picked frozen. Then we continue to freeze them, and we process them frozen. The idea behind that is uh, sugar takes a lower temperature than water to freeze, so the water it stays behind and the sugar with the flavors comes out. And we uh, it's Concentrated pick, flavor. Concentrated flavors. And correct. sugar. And yeah. sugar, Yes. It's delicious. It's uh, it has a little bit of a spice note. It's interesting. Um, great acidity. Uh, there's an unctuousness to it. A very lush fruit profile. Um, apricot and Meyer lemon, and uh, great bright acidity. Um, I, is this selling for you? Are people buying dessert wines in Washington? Would you? I think my records. Uh, Chateau Saint Michel is the only one that produces more late harvest than us. So we need do anywhere from 800 to 1600 cases of this. Wow, that's a- great. A tremendous amount. I'm a big proponent of dessert wines. I think we should have those a lot more than we do. Um, people think it's a small bottle. they got to save it for something. Yes. They will last. They will age well because of the acidity and the sugar, of course. Um, but I hope that people will try more dessert wines. So try the Late Harvest Roussan from Patterson Cellars. So, John, are you going, you're going to be in Reserve Night in Woodenville on April 25th, correct? Looking forward to it. It's a great event. Uh, Woodenville Wine Country's put it together. It'll be at Willow's Lodge this year. Uh, well worth attending. It's great bang for your buck and beautiful food, beautiful wine. Beautiful great. people. Everyone gets prettier uh, at the end. And, 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 uh, that is true. And a great venue. Just uh, it's, it's a fun event for the consumer to come out who wants to. Yeah, reserve night. It's, uh, it's a stud night, 90 plus points. And um, of course, last call for Passport. This is it. We're going to say goodbye to Passport to Woodenville and uh, we'll probably see something down the road. But May 3rd and 4th will be your last call. Are you going to be in that one too? 
We will, correct, both locations, over at Hollywood and then in the warehouse district as well. Well, you, you're making some great wines. I invite everyone to check out PattersonCellars.com. Um, the Cab Franc showing beautifully, as is his late harvest Roussan, and that's it's a very interesting finish. Um, it's delicious. Congratulations. Great work. Good to chat with you. Thank you for being on Happy Hour Radio. Thank you for having me, Chris. Really appreciate it. So I mentioned earlier one of my longtime friends um, is Keith Robbins. And uh, Keith's been in the bar industry. <laughs> I guess I've been in the bar industry a long time, too. Um, well, Keith, tell us your story. And well, let me say this, Keith. Welcome to Happy Hour. It's fantastic to be here. It's nice to see you with a set of headphones on. Yes, that's right. We, uh, you got the Mariner hat going on. I know that this opening week uh, was last week, and um, that's really exciting. I'm sure they're going to do well this season, right? Oh, they're doing great. <laughs> so uh, I remember we, you were my neighbor, and uh, you were promoting in a band, right? You were a band manager back then. It was. Uh, Pup, stubborn puppet. Wow, that's you're really dating yourself. That's that's quite a long time ago. That was, uh, boy, early early eighties. Yeah, early eighties. Yeah, because you were you were the, on on the new wave side. You were you know had the Vespa and um, you know really cool. And I was trying to be a heavy metal, you know, my double bass and rock star hair, and you know well, that's gone. <laughs> Um, but you you started uh, a great bar um, in Belltown before Belltown became the uh, you know gentrified restaurant heaven it is uh, called Watertown. Tell us about the genesis of Watertown. Well, Watertown actually I worked at Watertown before I bought Watertown. Watertown was uh, on the corner first in Bell. It was uh, uh, Belltown was Skid Road. It was it was uh, a little dicey down there back in the day there were two or three bars that were all a little edgy and uh the water town that i worked at closed and then i went and worked in the mussel and oyster business and then uh, it sat vacant and sat vacant and sat vacant and then i made a bid on it and they signed a deal with somebody else and i kept selling oysters and mussels that is dicey and shady down there wasn't it and then a few months later they said well the other party walked and so i went in and and uh, opened it up, reopened it, and it was probably the only bar in Seattle that closed at its peak. They changed the, <laughs> they changed the building in low income housing in uh, late nineteen eighty nine. It opened. I opened it in eighty seven, and it closed in almost nineteen ninety. And then uh, moved down the street and opened uh, Romper Room. Oh, yes, the Romper Room. The Romper Room. That's at First and Denny, right? Correct, right next door to Teeny Biggs on First and Denny. And the, so I had the Romper Room for 10 years. And then uh, I opened up Teeny Biggs, and that uh, that opened seven years after I opened Romper Room. Then uh, changed Romper Room over to Watertown Redone. Oh. And that was Watertown for f- about five years. Now Watertown is Hula Hula. And it's been a hula hula for seven years. Teeny Biggs has been there for uh, going on 18 years. We've never closed one day. Yeah, it's awesome. We're at about almost 6,400 days in a row <laughs> without closing. You need some sleep, my days. friend. Um, Teeny Biggs. So you've got, you know, it's interesting. I invited you on because you've got a great history uh, in Seattle nightlife. Um, so Watertown was all about beer back in those days, right? It was. 16 beers on tap was our was That's our it. big neon. Those are the had. beer days. We were all yeah. loving it. The yeah. pyramids and the, the Hefeweizens and the... Um, all these great local beers and some imported beers. And then uh, what was the idea, the inspiration behind Teeny Biggs? 
Well, uh, actually, the inspiration came out from the back bar from the original Watertown, which I put into storage, and it sat in storage for seven years. And I always knew that I I wanted, I had first right of refusal on that corner of First and Denny, which a lot of people have driven by. And uh, it's, I mean, it's literally on Google, has turn right at Teeny Biggs, if you take, <laughs> take your directions. That's good. Uh, yeah, that doesn't hurt. And... Uh, I loved that corner and got first right of refusal on it when I signed the lease for Romper Room, and then it came up seven years later. And I had already always envisioned that that back bar was going to be in the back, in the centerpiece in a classic cocktail lounge, which at the time, I mean, 17, 18 years ago, there were not very many cocktail lounges. The liquor laws were completely different. And um, so when we opened in 96, um, it was relatively pioneering. I mean, almost all the the cocktail lounges were actually fine dining places. Yeah, the restaurants was 70% food, 30% liquor at the time. That that, was the, that's correct. Yeah. And we kind of, uh, the timing, you know, it's always about timing, but the timing was outstanding, and we were uh, opened as a cigar-friendly cocktail lounge featuring in uh, martinis and cocktails that are in, in served in triangular-shaped glasses. <laughs> so uh, the thing that was interesting is that most people in Seattle or most people that came to Teeny Biggs had not had a lot of experience with cocktails, specifically martinis, and it was, uh, let's just say people weren't handling it very well the first few months. So they, they came in, and it was uh, there was a lot of extremely intoxicated people and uh, we had to educate people on uh, that the fact that martinis were uh, basically straight alcohol and you, <laughs> you can't drink them like a beer uh, or Kool-Aid like some people drank them. But uh, it was it was a fun time. We were going through 25 cases of martini glasses a month. That was oh, my goodness. That was, that was a little painful. Wow. <laughs> but uh, we're still around and we're you know still doing craft cocktails which we didn't call them that back then but we're we're still doing what we've been doing for a long time and we're always trying to be better and you know serving fresh juice cocktails every day we juice our own juice we're also our food menus gotten to be quite a bit more uh, ambitious than it ever was the thing that we're really featuring right now that's going over great is our meatball menu. I love it. I'm looking at this. Is a choose your balls. Yeah, it's, it's beef, it's, pork, turkey, veggie, and a special. Ask your server. And we're grinding all our own meats in-house. And so you get your choice of meatball, you get your choice of sauce, and then you get your choice on what you want it served on. So it's it's really fun. It's just a checklist. You hand it to the server. Oh, and that's the way to do it. It's pretty It's pretty easy. With it's noodles on a set of buns, nude balls, <laughs> extra ball. So fun at Teeny Biggs. Speaking with uh, Keith Robbins, my friend at Teeny Biggs and Hula Hula, um, we're chatting about his balls, his meatballs, <laughs> his fresh ground <laughs> meatballs, classic pork, um, great food. And so here's some of the cocktails you've got. You've got champagne on the beach, uh, which is vodka, um, peach nectar, sparkling wine, bitters. That sounds fantastic. L'amour d'amour is Bacardi at your rum, maraschino liqueur and vermouth. I want to say that Teeny Biggs has been sort of the mecca for bartenders who want to, like, make a name for themselves and get some real experience on making classic drinks and also uh, just the, the classic cock mixology. Yeah? We've had some outstanding employees. I mean, I mean the, the bartenders and servers that have passed through the doors at Teeny Biggs are 
some of the icon bartenders in Seattle. I mean, it's it's been a, we've been a training ground. It's been very flattering, and I've been you know I don't really know what the heck I'm doing, but my staff sure is good. That's how you do it. You yeah. build a good team. You yeah. surround yourself with professionals. And speaking with Keith Robbins of Teeny Bigs, and uh, I want to say thanks to uh, John Patterson of Patterson Cellars. When we come back from this break, um, we're going to chat more about cocktails and some of the great food over at Teeny Bigs. And then later on the show, I've got Dennis Cakebread uh, of Cake Bread Cellars in Napa Valley uh, here on Happy Hour Radio. The term dining experience is thrown around a lot lately. See if you think this one measures up to the billing. Four distinct venues, five extraordinary dishes, eight Washington wines, and three renowned chefs cooking, demonstrating, and pairing it all. Whatever you choose to call it, it's one extraordinary evening. Cellars and Skillets, a progressive dining tour through the heart of Woodenville Wine Country. Saturday, May 3rd. Reserve your experience at WoodenvilleWineCountry.com. Hi, this is Christopher Chan, your host of Happy Hour Radio. Join me every Saturday right here at 11 a.m. on 570 KVI. And save the date, June 19th through 21st, for Celebrate Walla Walla Wine, the world of Syrah. Tickets and information at wallawallawine.com. The glass is always half full. You're listening to Happy Hour Radio, sponsored by Woodenville Wine Country's 90-point-plus Reserve Night, with the Commodore of Cocktails, Christopher Chan. Hey, and welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. Having a good time chatting with my old friend Keith Robbins of Teeny Bigs. Um, talking about some of his menus and, of course, the cocktail mecca for bartenders around Seattle. You can ask anybody. And Teeny Bigs has been open every day for how long? Closing on 18 years. 18 60, years. By the time this airs, 6,400-ish days in a row. Wow. That's so fun. I've enjoyed numerous cocktails. And I guess, you know, I really miss the Sonics because it was always so fun to... Come down there and get a good spot at the bar and have a couple pops and then go watch, you know, Peyton and Rain Man and, oh, man. And a cigar. And a cigar. That would after the game. <laughs> exactly. Um, what's going on in Hula Hula? Oh, karaoke seven nights a week. Pretty festive. What time does that start? That starts at 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock. Every night of the year as well. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and who's hosting that? Do you know? Uh, I do. The Karaoke Geek. Mikey the Karaoke Geek. Oh, really? Yeah. I think I've seen him at the Yenor one time at, uh, in West Seattle. Um, so you go, he's, done, he's not doing it seven days a week. He no, have... he's not. He was for a while, but he's been, he's been our karaoke guy since we opened uh, Hula Hula, and that's been seven plus years. Oh, wow. So he's, he must he's, have a, great pipes. he's a bit of an icon. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a lot of fun. Well, he, I'm going to have to go over there and, and dust off my pipes, because uh, I worked at Casa Betcha back in the day. We hosted karaoke in 91 and 92. In fact, we were the first non-Asian place to have karaoke in the city. Jeff Steichen, are you listening? Come on, spring it back, pal. <laughs> he's got Batch 206 vodka. Um, so Hula Hula has got karaoke, and I take it it's got a Hawaiian-themed food. Can I get some uh, ahi poke there? Uh, you cannot get oh. any off. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a, a little less Hawaiian theme. We we do have a few things. Some bar food. Yeah, it's it's bar accessible food. Yeah, that's cool. And what's my, what's the cocktails I should be having down at uh, Hula Hula? Hurricane. Mai oh, you, tai? Sh- you should have a mai tai, of course. Yeah. Mai tai is fantastic. Navy grog, blue Hawaiian. All right. Some fun glassware. John, you like cocktails? I do. 
<laughs> you love cocktails. Where do you, do you up? You a Woodenville guy? You live up there? We have a Woodenville whiskey there. It's a great, does some great drinks, and we have the the Commons as well. Uh, our two go to places. Yeah, because we need something. Every great wine is there's a beer behind every great wine or a cocktail after. Um, speaking of whiskey. Uh, Keith, how many whiskeys or browns do you have there on the shelf at Teeny Bakes? Boy, I, just, I needed to do some research. A hundred? Well, a lot. Yeah, a lot. A lot, and a lot more than we've had uh, in a long time because we're featuring all the you know the local stuff and a lot more American whiskey. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly over a hundred if we're counting Scottish and Irish and American, and it's, uh, it's well over a hundred. A hundred bottles of whiskey on the wall. You know, I had an interview... Uh, uh, on, in one of my uh, Meet Your Maker series, which I do for online podcasting, with the uh, American Distillery Conference was here in town a couple of weeks back. And I met him, and he said, Washington State is the is really the hotbed of uh, distilleries across the country. There's 400, he estimated 450 craft distilleries in the United States, and Washington had 70-plus. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm sure you've got lots of uh, variety there and lots of opportunity to, to bring in some of that local product. Um, do you have a, a favorite cocktail at Teeny Biggs? My favorite cocktail Besides the one that's sitting in front of me when, <laughs> yeah. when I'm in there, uh, favorite cocktail. You know, I'm a. If if I had to pick one, it would be a smoky martini. Mm. Is that Smok- Lagavulin or Lafroy? La- Lagavulin, yeah, yeah, with Lagavulin or just Lagavulin on straight up, right? Maybe a little bit of a rock. I like rusty it. nails sometimes when I'm rocking and rolling. It's a rusty nail. And uh, but I like playing. I mean, it's fun. And and you got such great mixologists there that we can walk in there and say, "Well, what do you want to make?" I like making drinks at the bar. That's the best. It is really That's fun. That's the best. If you got good bartenders, just tell them what you like, and they concoct something right in front of you that's that's always pretty interesting maybe a one-off too <laughs> it's really fun at teeny bigs and you got a website it's uh teenybigs.com it's teenybigs.com you can check out the menu uh the great drinks uh some of their story it's at first and denny in downtown seattle be sure to stop by for happy hour right any hour yep. is seven, happy hour. Seven days a week. Seven happy days hour, a yes. week. You can't miss. You want a place to go, it's Teeny Bigs. Great <laughs> food and great cocktails. Hey, um, one more question. Uh, you're a fisherman. I am. Not and for a couple of days. I'm not going again until tomorrow. Till tomorrow. <laughs> Um, salmon fisherman, you're an expert salmon fisherman. You, you have a, a guide service. Um, now, do you eat salmon? Yes. You do? Where do you, yeah. get, where do you buy the salmon that you eat, or do you catch it? I don't recall the last time I bought a salmon. Yeah. I like I like to go to Mutual Fish. Mutual Fish, yes. Wild Salmon Market. Yeah, I know. Wild Marcos. Salmon. Well, Met, so Met Market. The Met Market? Very Met good. Market. Uh, Those are all great places. But typically, I don't buy salmon. I typically catch my own and eat it. All right. Well, we're going to go fishing again this summer, if not sooner. Uh, Keith Robbins, thanks for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. It's great to be here. Thanks. Good to see you, Chris. Hey, coming up next, it's, uh, I'm pleased to introduce an icon of Napa Valley. Um, one of the great names, and it's really a cool name. I mean, how do you get a name like Cake Bread? That's really cool. Dennis Cake Bread, welcome to Happy Hour. Christopher, thanks for having me here. You know, it's one of those old English names. Oh. Remember how the uh, English, when the Romans invaded, they built all these ro- roads. All of a sudden, everybody started moving around more. And so the English, who used to be either John or George or, or Henry, all of a sudden, people were moving more. Their population started growing. And so 
you know, the English started naming people after what they lived next to or what their profession was. That's and right. So their profession explains all the people named uh, church and streets and wells and gates, right? Oh. And then uh, professions, of course, were the tailors, the smiths, the uh, uh, shoemakers, and the bakers. And so cake bread turns out as a round loaf of dense bread, very much a peasant bread that we trace back to 12th century England. Um, and so our guy must have been uh, a baker who specialized in making only this. And so that's why we're the cake breads. Well, it's a great name, and it's so fun to, to learn that history. I'm trying to figure out what Chan means. I'm sure it's a dynasty somewhere. There you go. <laughs> the annals of China. Um, so who came to uh, California, and how did they end up in Napa? So, well, if you go way back, uh, as a nice Englishman, uh, Robert and Martha, they came over in the gold rush, uh, ended up late in the gold rush, like, most people did, I guess. Um, but he was a coal miner, and so he thought he could do well in the uh, mining for gold. But uh, they ended up in the, the hills, the foothills. Um, they had uh, 11 kids, which I just can't imagine having, you know, I don't know. They didn't 11, have TV. They had uh, well, but 11 <laughs> kids. No wonder he didn't find any gold. But um, uh, And he was a coal miner. So after all that, they moved down into uh, the Pittsburgh Antioch area in the Black Diamond Coal Mines, which is uh, all played out now, of course. But back then, it was a big deal. And he was very successful doing that. He uh, was so successful, he ended up buying a ranch, uh, ended up with 860 acres, which is a section, which is a significant. Wait, so we're talking about Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania? Pittsburgh, Antioch, uh, Delta, uh, California. Oh, okay. So Pittsburgh, had, California. Um, so Pittsburgh, Antioch. Uh, so that's the unusual part is there was a coal mine there. Um, he succeeded doing that, uh, uh, 860 acres, as it got split up amongst all of his kids. My grandfather ended up with about 40 acres of almonds. Mm. Um, and he uh, wasn't really enough to make a, a living on, plus he got hay fever. He had other aspirations. Oh, no. uh, other aspirations. You know, he, he grew up out on the farm, and, and, you know, like lots of kids, he wanted to leave. But So he moved into the, the big town of Oakland. Um, still kept the uh, Ammon Ranch on the on the weekends. Uh, so my dad grew up driving a tractor doing that. But my grandfather started uh, auto repair, Cake Bread's Garage in downtown Oakland in 1927. Right, because if you were a farmer, you could fix a tractor. If you could fix a tractor, you could fix any car. Sure. Running then, and so that was the family business for years. That's uh, what my my dad did was a, a engine a jet engine mechanic in the Air Force, and, and came back and ran the. Uh, auto repair garage as a little kid. That's what I did was uh, uh, sweep the floors, clean the benches, get tall enough, uh, change oil, get strong enough, change tires, get smart enough to do brake jobs. And so <laughs> as, a, as a kid, that was my after-school job and summers and, and all the rest did of that. Did it pay well? It was a family business. <laughs> uh, that's right. You got dinner. <laughs> you got your supper. <laughs> You've been there. Um, but my dad had an interest in wine. And so we grew up with wine on the table and uh, he, you know, Drank nice uh, Bordeaux, big Bordeaux. And um, uh, so at a, a point in time, he was up. Uh, it's a longer story. but Is this the a, 60s we're talking about about now? You no, know, the 70s. 70s, okay. Yeah. Um, and so he ended up buying uh, 22 acres from some family friends who had retired up in uh, the Napa Valley. And that's where the winery is today. And so he started out buying 22 acres. And we started. We planted uh, about 10 acres of Sauvignon Blanc. <clears throat> And then uh, while we were waiting for that to grow, we'd been making wine up in uh, Norman Minnie's basement. Uh, Norman was an eclectic, eccentric gentleman who was getting older and needed some young guys to slug the, the lug boxes into his Do basement. some of the heavy lifting. Yep. And uh, so that's that's what my brothers and I did. And we, we are 
he finally suggested, hey, you guys have been helping me for a couple of years. Why don't you make your own wine? So he helped us make uh, 157 cases of Chardonnay. So we crushed it in his basement, brought the, the, the wine back in barrels and aged them. And we took a tractor shed and uh, insulated it and um, cooled it and started aging our 157 cases of Chardonnay. So that's how we got started in 1973 was our first vintage. Wow, it sounds like the story about Leonetti with uh, Gary Figgins was a tool guy, um, a can operator, machinist, and he had a, he updated a tool shed to be his cellar. Yeah. Um, so in uh, the early 70s, who were the neighbors back then? Do you remember some of the... Well, so the Mandavi, Robert Mandavis were very helpful um, uh-huh. to us because uh, they were basically across the street, about a half mile down the road So you're in us. Oakville? We're in Rutherford. Rutherford. It's not that far, right? It's, yeah. It's, you know... Half a block down the street. There you go. Um, and so uh, they were very helpful. Uh, I remember um, Brian, uh, I'm forgetting his last name at the moment, but uh, was their tasting room manager, and, and we desperately needed sales. And so he called up one uh, Saturday afternoon and says, hey, is it okay if I bring some people over to taste your wine? Go, yeah. Oh. And my dad goes, yeah. And so he shows up with this whole bus, which, of course, was a problem because it was a one-lane dirt road. You couldn't turn the bus around. But that was... <laughs> There's a bunch of doctors. They came off and they bought a bunch uh, of stuff. Brian, uh, Brian told them, you know, go ahead, and knock yourselves out. And so he helped. Uh, there was lots of, uh, you know, even even today, it's, there's a lot of good camaraderie. Um, yeah, the that, wine that helps is about yeah. you know, family and camaraderie and help. Yeah. So the fun part. So uh, when we started, <clears throat> you know, as uh, small as it was with the 157 cases of wine, we were the 39th winery active at the time. And so uh, Robert Mondavi, when he started in uh, 1967, was 33rd. We come along in 73, we're 39, and of course now there's yes 600. Lots, lots and lots. Well, it's Eight, interesting about something. that, because we talk about Buena Vista being one of the first, and Engelnook and uh, Charles Krug. And you know, quick story, uh, Mondavi asked for some help from some financiers in Seattle. Rainer Brewery CEO gave him 20000 to start the winery. and uh, Tw- $20 million. No, no, twenty thousand. Twenty thousand. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I don't think anyone had twenty million dollars back then. Can you imagine? Um, we're here on Happy Hour Radio, speaking with Dennis Cakebread of Cakebread Cellars in Napa Valley. Um, I've got a great, a beautiful glass of Chardonnay in front of me, and I want to talk about that Chardonnay. Uh, you've also know, known well for the Cabernet Sauvignons. You've made Zinfandel. Obviously, the Sauvignon Blanc is something that I had on the Rainer Club wine list when I was uh, the director of wine at the uh, there. And uh, I understand you've got some new projects coming down the pike and actually already in bottle because I've tasted them. Um, so when we come back from this break, uh, I want to talk about uh, the Chardonnay, uh, who's making the wine, and then talk about some of the other great grapes and projects you've got going on at Cake Bread Cellars here on Happy Hour Radio. If you enjoy fine wine, you're in the right place at the right time. Washington is home to over 700 wineries and now has more 90-plus rated wines than any region in the world. On April 25th, uncork the best of the best during Woodenville Reserve Night at Willow's Lodge. This is arguably the richest evening of wine in the Northwest. Nothing but award-winning 90-plus rated Washington vintages. Woodenville Reserve Night. It doesn't get any better than this. See WoodenvilleWineCountry.com. Grab a stool. You're listening to Seattle's most spirited hour of talk. 
Happy Hour Radio, sponsored by Woodenville Wine Country's 90 Point Plus Reserve Night, with master mixologist Christopher Chan. Hey, and welcome back to Happy Hour Radio here on 570 KBI. I have the pleasure, the distinct pleasure, of chatting with um, a Napa Valley icon, Dennis Cakebread of the Cakebread Family Cellars. Cakebread Cellars here in Napa. And Dennis, um, I've got a beautiful glass of Chardonnay in front of me, and I'm, I remember tasting Cakebread Chardonnay in my youth. <laughs> um, it was a blind date, and uh, we were having sushi, and the gal wanted Cakebread Chardonnay, like, Baby, that was like the most expensive. You're like, look at you. I get you. So, of course, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker. I'm pulling it out because she was pretty cute. I'm figuring, figuring that'll get me someplace. Um, and I remember the Chardonnay being uh, much, uh, much, much bigger, much heavier with, uh, with more oak on it. But tell me, this Chardonnay I have in my glass, this is the 2011, is beautiful. It's lithe. It's just got a touch of oak. Has your winemaking style changed over the years? Well, so that's an interesting question. Um, and so we were chatting about it a little bit earlier, and I said, you know, um, although maybe the first couple of years we were probably big and oaky, because when we started, we had all brand new barrels. Um, but once we got into it about 10 years or so, so, the truth is, is, you know, we're this auto repair family. There's no fortune, you, you know, you know, the, the, you're story. using a lot of things. You're using rags. Well, no, I no, don't know about rags, but you know how you make a small <laughs> fortune in the wine business. You start with a real big one. Well, you know, this auto repair business was feeding the whole thing. And, and so uh, cash flow was a big deal. And so we didn't have a lot of new barrels. And so other than maybe the first couple of years, um, to my recollection, we were never the big, oaky California style. We've always been leaner. So, um, And so uh, what ch- uh, puzzles me and so you can never tell someone what they taste, you know. And so this is as, true. As you and I taste this uh, glass of uh, Chardonnay, you know, we're we're pretty practiced at our descriptions, and we're, we're going to swirl it and go, uh, "Hey, Christopher, you get apples and pears." You're going to go, "Yeah, yeah, you know, maybe a little nuance of this, nuance of that." But we're going to be pretty, you know, nuance of oak. We're going to be pretty um, close in our descriptions, and in, in what I I might call pears, you might call, you know, some melon, or, or but we're not going to be that far off. But uh, so on, on uh, you know, social media is such a, a, a wonderful thing now because you get, see, get to see everybody's comments. But yeah, just because it's written doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> so I see these questions where someone says, can you suggest to me a big, a really big oaky Chardonnay? I love the oak. And someone will come back and say, cake bread. And, and I used to log in and go, oh, you know, it's not. It's not. <laughs> it, it isn't. Trust me, it's not. Um, you know, I, I taste it. This is not. You know, and so it is I, not. I have others that I can recommend that are big oaky, <laughs> uh, big oaky boys because some people like that style. It's not a style that we've practiced in years. And so, you know, our our winemaker now is Julianne Lax. She's been with us for twenty seven years. Not always as winemaker, uh, but so twenty seven years uh, with us. Uh, started out uh, in the lab as the enologist, and then grew into being the 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 winemaker. So our, our style doesn't change. I think we evolve maybe a little bit as we, um, as our vineyards changed. You know, a big change for us was in the late 80s, early 90s when all of our vineyards got phylloxera. And so AXR1. Every, and stupid AXR1. Or in hindsight, you know, not a great, not the greatest idea. Um, but that made a big change. And so basically we got to skip a generation of learning or, or jump ahead a generation because all these vineyards had to be replanted. And so something that was maybe 20 years old that wouldn't come out for another 10 years or so, we got 
we we got this is the uh, lemonade uh, got a bunch of lemons make lemonade out of them. We got the opportunity to replant all this stuff, and so we got to make some beautiful wines uh, from all these new vineyards. And so um, that that was a, a big leap, and I think that um, maybe some of our wines had drifted where we had phylloxera and we had huh. uh, maybe some nutrient deficiencies in our juice that that we, but we didn't know we had it. We didn't know we had this big problem with phylloxera, and so. Um, but uh, late eighties, early nineties, we were able to make this big jump ahead, and it maybe it changed our wines, made them a little bit leaner, but not hugely so. So it's fortuitous, and in, in, in many ways, because you got to uh, redesign yourself, reinvent it to some degree with what you what you've learned in twenty years. Yeah. Well, and then the other thing that happened about then also is we didn't own that much land back then. Um, um, we didn't think we needed to, but uh, one thing that was changing is lots of new small wineries were starting up. We looked at our list of growers one day and went down and checked off who was making their own wine also, and we'd go talk to them and say, well, what is, what is this? You know, what's, what's your future look like? And they go, oh, we're only making 700 cases of this, and we're not going to grow anymore. And said, you know, we started at 157, and so we, we know what it's <laughs> like. And so it, it hit us that we needed to start uh, owning more of our own vineyards. And so that started uh, then, uh, about then also, um, as some guys looked at the replanting costs and decided that they didn't want to keep going. So we ended up um, buying some vineyards from existing growers, which were great but needed to be replanted. And so now we own 1,100 acres gross with uh, 560 planted in vineyards, which is a major uh, vineyard holding. So we're, we're spread out from Carneros for the Chardonnay all the way up to Howe Mountain for some of the reserved Cabernets. And uh, well, that's great because you've got great sources. But the Chardonnay has is uh, it's a beautiful Chardonnay, and this is actually the t- 2012. It's funny because I'm sure that my perception uh, was reality at the time, um, and I've evolved as a wine taster and uh, sommelier, so I can say I can now appreciate more. And uh, that relationship only lasted one date anyway. But it's nice to get a re- oh, surprise. <laughs> Here you go for the cake bread Chardonnay. There's if if you um, she must have been a pro dater. Um, <laughs> Um, we got one of the wonderful things we've been doing this for 41 years now we get these wonderful stories that people send us just out of the blue this one gentleman um, I think he posted it on Facebook but went and said um, I'm I'm out celebrating an important anniversary and I need to tell you how this all started I asked this one nice lady out uh, again and again and again she would never go out with me and so finally, after nine times, she said yes, and we're out to dinner, and she orders a, a salad, and, and um, I, I stopped her, and the guy says, I gave her the menu back and said, look, I've asked you out nine times. This is very important to me. You're going to order dinner. We're going to eat a real dinner tonight, not just some little salad. So he said, the gal ordered up, ordered a bottle of cake bread. I don't think he said what uh, variety, but he said, when she did that, I knew that she was the one for me. And here we are. I'm sending her this letter because we're celebrating our 10th. Uh, your anniversary, and so I, I love stories like that. Yeah, it's a fun story, and that, I think that's how iconic th- that wine is. That's kind of one of those movie wines you'd see it because everybody knows the label. The label hasn't changed, um, with the cluster of grapes and the simple words, two words, cake bread sellers. And I know that you uh, you've made 
well, the winery, and you've been to the property uh, since 1987, so this is, what, 30? Well, well, no, no, I've worked there. Uh, I've been paid since 1987. I've always worked there. <laughs> so if you know family yes. businesses, okay. and so, excuse me. Let the record show. <laughs> <laughs> he's been there forever. He's got the name. Okay, he's got the cred. Um, you've made a lot of wines, and uh, Julianne Locks is your uh, winemaker, from starting from an enologist, uh, close to the same year you did, right? She was there in 86, well, on payroll, yeah. I should say. Let me clarify that. Um, and she, uh, you, you're making Pinot Noir, well, I should say Cabernet Sauvignon. Tell me all the wines you make. You tell me what you make. Yeah, I know it there. So, you know, we, going from uh, lighter to, to heavier, we start with Sauvignon Blanc. Um, you know, we started making that in 1976. And so uh, back when we made, first started making um, Sauvignon Blanc, um, people used to drink it for Cheaper Chardonnay, cheap cheap white wine, and now it's fun to see people enjoy it for what it is. It's nice, spicy, herbaceous wine. Uh, so Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, Merlot, a couple reserve uh, Cabernets, uh, some Pinot Noir, which is new to what we're doing, and um, a couple of little things at the winery that we keep there. And you got a website so people can check this out? The very creatively named cakebread.com. Cakebread.com. Well, I'm glad I asked. You can find all those great wines and... Um, was Chardonnay, you said Chardonnay was the first wine in 1973, was it? Correct. Yeah. And, wow, that's got a lot of heritage. So this is the year, what, 30, 40, 40, You've got to take your shoes off now. It's a, it's a, it's a challenge. <laughs> Getting on the toes. Well, you know, we had a great lunch today um, with a couple other buyers, and I had the pleasure of tasting a new project for you, uh, which is from Anderson Valley. Tell us about this new wine. So this is our uh, Pinot Noir. Um, these vineyards, there's two vineyards up there. We call this our Two Creeks Vineyards, uh, Pinot Noir. It's under the, our, our, you know, this is the only label we've got, Cake Bread Cellars. Um, you know, we had been trying to make Pinot Noir since the early 90s. 1992 is our first vintage that we tried. And as much as everybody talks about it being a, a, a difficult grape to work with, that's, that's partly true. Uh, partly it's, we had, you know, we'd been making Cabernet and, and Chardonnay, and we knew how to make those, but Pinot Noir... We needed to learn some lessons, and we needed some different, you know, size tanks, shaped tanks, open top tanks. Oh, interesting! And and we needed to. There was a lot for us to learn, um, not only in terms of how to make it, but uh, how to grow it, and then where where to grow it. So we started out in Carneros. Uh, there's lots of nice Carneros Pinot Noirs made, but we didn't have access to that fruit, mm. and so we started looking around, and we ended up in uh, Anderson Valley, uh, Mendocino County. Uh, out close to the coast, beautiful, cooler, cooler um, weather. Um, we bought an old um, apple orchard and uh, pulled it out and planted it to uh, seven clones of Pinot Noir. And so here we are today, very excited. It's to, a delicious uh, wine. I'm very impressed with this first uh, this first release. It's complex, but it's uh, the fruit is um, reserved, but also fresh and vibrant. Uh, red cherry, black cherry, um, black raspberry. His spice note, the, the oak is judicious, um, but certainly provides a nice backbone compliment to that, uh, that fruit. I love that description. Thanks. Thank you. It, it's, it's what we're, we're trying to do. You know, all of our wines, um, if you tasted through our whole lineup, hopefully you'd, you'd come out and you'd go with just a couple words, you'd go, oh, these wines are all balanced. And so each should have its own balance point in there. And so when I say balanced, it's balanced in terms of uh, nuances of oak. You know, oak is not a food group. <laughs> Fruit, acid, alcohol, and tannin. That's what balances. <laughs> and this wine is balanced. I love the, the acidity. The acidity uh, 
makes lengthens that finish and it uh, cleanses the palate. And this is great. Um, you know, certainly uh, California is known for their uh, Russian River Pinot Noirs and Carneros Pinot Noirs, and uh, this is this is a world class Pinot Noir. Is this available in the Seattle market? Just just being introduced now. Okay, and uh, if you want to find it, Cakebread Cellars. Oh, sorry, Cakebread.com to find this Cakebread Cellars Two Creek Vineyard Pinot Noir out of Anderson Valley. Now, I understand. I heard a whisper here. You know, I'm a kind of a pretty big Washington wine guy. I do lots here in the industry. And someone said they saw you in Walla Walla. Uh, what's going on with that? You just visiting? No, we're very excited. Uh, been working on something new. So you know, Cakebread Cellars. Here we are, 41 years old. It had always been in the back of our minds to go to another region when, when we grew up. And uh, we decided that Cake Bread Cellars has grown up, and we've basically topped out our production. And so we're not growing anymore. You know, of course, sure. each vintage California. goes up and down yeah. a little bit. But um, we decided we're, we're at the right size. Uh, we make these wonderful wines, you know, own all these beautiful vineyards. We'll keep acquiring vineyards to um, uh, at some point get to be all estate, but maybe that's 30 years away. Um, but we had a, a always needed something else to go work on. And so we're up in Walla. Walla. You got some more kids, do you? I do. Wallula? No. Walla Walla. Walla Walla. Walla Walla. Yeah. You know why they called it Walla Walla? It's they the water, named water. It, No, they named it Walla and liked it so much they did it again. I don't know. Place so nice, yeah. they named it twice. But anyway, so uh, what's interesting about uh, Walla Walla, it has wonderful wine culture. True. And, and Very true. And you... you Mentioned uh, Leonetti, Fagans, you know all these guys have been so helpful for me as I've been up there working on this. And so we started in um, 2012. Will be our first vintage. Actually, just uh, finished bottling it on Monday and Tuesday of this week. And you must have a bottle here to show me. Look at that Mullen Road Cellars Cabernet Franc 2012. That's very exciting. Who's making the wine? Uh, Aaron Morrell. So nice young man. No way. That guy is a stud. I had his wines for the first time in person. We are so lucky to have this cat come up to to Washington. It's very and he's bringing that California style with all the beauty of Washington structure. Well, Dennis Cakebread, this is really exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing you more in Washington State, of course, here in Seattle and Walla Walla. Um, thanks for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thanks so much. Fun to be here. Had some great guests this week on this week's show. Um, of course, John Patterson with Patterson Sellers, Keith Robbins, the man behind Teeny Biggs and Hula Hula, and of course, uh, the name, the legend of Dennis Cakebread and Cakebread.com, Napa Winery, uh, Napa Valley Winery. Hey, uh, looking at next week, we're going to be chatting about some really fun cocktails from Teatro Zinzani. I'm going to have Jamie, the bartender, come over and chat up about spirits. Uh, we're also going to try to get into some oysters and the Big Easy. I'm heading down to New Orleans later. I'm going to talk to Kevin Davis from Ocean Air and uh, chat about uh, how to put a wine list together in a winery store with Jeff Cox, buyer for PCC Markets. Hey, thanks for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Um, remember, life's always better with a designated driver. Cheers.
19th through 21st. The world is converging on Walla Walla. The world of Syrah, that is. Celebrate Walla Walla Valley Wine, the world of Syrah, with winemaker panels, tastings, dining, and more. Compare Syrah wines from Casa Robles and Sonoma, California, Yara Valley, Australia, and over 60 Walla Walla wineries. Get tickets at wallawallawine.com slash celebrate. Don't wait. Space is limited, and it's filling up fast. That's wallawallawine.com slash celebrate. 